Howdy friends. Listen, before we jump in, check this out. We've got some exciting news. As you know, Peter and I work for Bottle Rocket and we would love for you to join our team. Listen, we're a work from wherever company and we're self-managed vacation. Not to mention you get to work with great people. For example, Peter and I. Sounds great, right? So if you are ready to do the best work of your life, and join an extraordinary team. Hit the link in the show notes to see our current open positions and apply today. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, Ladies and gentlemen, five, prepare four, for liftoff. 3, 2, 1. Oh, hi. 155 countries. Welcome back to Liftoff by Bottle Rocket. I happen to be Tony Dosat. And I am Peter Clayman. Our guest this week is an award-winning marketing and technology executive with a long history of innovative digital transformation initiatives. She has successfully developed and implemented comprehensive marketing strategies to drive brand recognition, cultivate strong business partnerships, increase revenue, and grow profits time and time again. It's our pleasure to introduce our guest today, Gail Sinor. Gail, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me and thanks for embarrassing me. No. <laughs> sure. It's, it's what we do best. I have to, before uh, I hand it off to uh, Peter for a quick question, I have to just add some color and context to this conversation. Gail is actually a client of Bottle Rocket. And I, it's weird to even say the term client because it's true when I say this. I actually consider you, Gail, a friend and a partner. And, oh, and it's so much fun to always jump on Zoom and, and riff on stuff and ideas and do all the cool things that we get to do together. So I just want to thank you for also being such a great partner and client for us that it's really, it is a special relationship. So thank you. Oh, thanks. I will say our riff sessions are some of my favorite things. We just I don't get, get to do them Zoom. often, but they're so fun. We just riff on ideas and we let it go. You know, it's actually, it's interesting also. One more thing. You're also the first client that was from Go, for me, anecdotally, the first all digital Zoom everything okay. client. And to have a, a rapport like this and relationship like this, starting from a digital space, strictly, I think has has really opened my eyes to all the possibilities in this new way of doing work. And I think it's a huge testament to the work that you do and your mindset and how you operate. And um, again, I, I can't wait to keep this going. But look, look, this is not going to be a love session. Peter Aww, has I questions. <laughs> I have questions. Wait, I, I do want to provide some like just a little better picture for everybody. When we talk about Tony building a relationship, Gail, I'm sure you had these moments as well. Like he will show up in the middle of the Zoom, lean in really hard with this huge microphone and be like, hello, everybody, I'm Tony. Uh, so let's kick things off. What's your favorite Barbara Streisand song? And you're all like, what? I thought we were, oh. And then everybody laughs. Everybody shares right. their favorite Barbara Streisand song. And then five minutes later, we're off to work. And we're doing serious work here, everybody, by we the are. way. Like, it's not like we're not doing serious work together. But when you spend as many hours working on these types of things that are variable, 
lots of changing timelines, lots of dependencies, lots of intricacies, being able to have the trust, you know, and Gail, this cuts both ways, right? We're, we're really grateful for the relationship we have together. Okay. I am done with the love fest now. <laughs> you guys are like, Great. I'm red. No. See? <laughs> <laughs> so we butter them up and then we ask the tough questions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're going to dive right in. Well, Gail, I was what? just thinking of Tony and everybody having to make their comments on, oh, your microphone and oh, your magic <laughs> microphone. That everybody does it when they're new. They comment on his mic. They do like, hey, what's that setup like, Frazier? his fancy yeah. camera that makes us all go look really bad compared to him. <laughs> yes, I'm on my little like webcam with my I don't even know Amazon micro or your headphones all this stuff I don't I feel left out <laughs> well hey Gail why don't you just kick things off yeah. give our listeners a little better context to the role you're playing today so we can lead into talking about some of those things that really are you've been fired up and passionate about for your whole career but especially today okay my role or my my title honestly I'm not sure what my title is anymore but I'm uh, ultimately responsible, I just sign things on paper, if that makes sense, VP of digital. But what I was originally brought in for was e-commerce and uh, what we call innovation. Um, really, I, the best way to describe it is really kind of helping to enable digital transformation. So um, I own all customer-facing technology, and so I'm very passionate about that. It's pretty much what I've done my entire career. And so just if there weren't those buzzwords, if you will, and uh, I'm also very passionate about the customer. So to me, it's really exciting. So, And for everybody, that is at Bloom and Brands, international presence, lots of cool stuff. I think all of our listeners are thinking, well, man, your, your last year and a half has been very different than you had planned for it to be on your roadmap. Mm-hmm. Before oh, yeah. we definitely dive in, can you just give us some insights as to what it's been like? being on the in in the organization through this moment of critical upheaval and change. Yeah, so if you go back, you know, a year, um, we like to say there's a specific day in March that our world changed, right? I mean, mm. everybody had heard about COVID, but it was still somewhere else. Um, you start to hear more things coming. And then all of a sudden, it really seemed like everything shut down almost immediately. Um, you, you know, I think it was, France or Spain, I don't remember, maybe Italy um, at the time that, you know, they were definitely closing everything. They were quarantining and nobody knew kind of when it was going to happen with them. Well, you know, in the restaurant space, uh, I mean, you basically have a situation where you're, you're used to having the majority of your people come in and then you're basically pivoting over to a scenario where everybody is ordering uh, off-prem. And so, for us, it was exciting. I mean, I'm, I'm very exciting is maybe going to sound weird, right? Um, I love what I do. And so I felt like this was um, probably a new level of, oh, we, my team's got to be ready. Our platform's got to be ready. The things that we need to do, um, you know, as, as restaurants were closing, our leadership was amazing. We, you know, as an organization, we did not uh, furlough or lay anyone off. Which and is like, I just paused. That's astounding. It is. It's absolutely amazing. And they, they, there's not even enough words to talk about um, some of the decisions and way that they pulled together as a leadership team to guide us through that. Nobody in any shape or form 
said, okay, Gail, we're really relying on your team to help keep this going. But I felt like we as a team felt an extra sense of responsibility because, you know, when you, when you think about it at the time, we were still, uh, we were less than six months in, maybe just at six months into doing third party marketplace with uh, DoorDash and Uber Eats. So that was still relatively new. That wasn't even integrated to our point of sale. So people were still entering information from tablets into point of sale. Um, we'd had a platform that wasn't super stable. We knew a path we were going to go down. And so we had this immediate fear is the word I'm going to use about what are we going to do to keep this going? And so um, I can't even begin to tell you what that was like for my team. I, I mean, there ob there's obviously the things that go on the rest of the organization. I mean, I don't know what it was like in the field. I, I don't even really totally understand what it was like with, with the rest of uh, the restaurant support center. And that's the only reason I say that is because we felt this extra responsibility of having, um, having to keep our channel that had historically had some challenges up and really deliver our part. Like, again, nobody told us this is something you guys must do. We felt that way and like a passion about doing our part. So it was amazing, scary, fun, all at the same time, you know? And in the midst of that, we started our relationship together. We did. Yeah. Yeah. We did. That's right. <laughs> we, we, that's right. We had just uh, had a trip to your offices in Dallas, which I wasn't able to go to. And then I think two weeks later, maybe three weeks later, this happened. And a couple weeks after that, we had just started to talk about, hey, what does this mean? And I remember at the time thinking, how are we going to do this at the same time? <laughs> wild. It is wild. And so, Gail, let me ask you with all this change, has it created space for people to think differently, to create kind of a new culture around the organization? Yeah, it's, I, you know, I've had a couple conversations with various people and um, as horrible as the pandemic is, has been all the casualties, um, I choose to find the silver lining, right? I don't want to focus on the negative. I want to focus on the positive. And I personally think it's been good for organizations to really kind of figure out what their next steps are. I, I think there's been a lot of uh, shift in thinking, looking at things a little differently. Um, uh, definitely in our organization. I, I think in casual dining as a whole, not necessarily just within the four walls, but taking it out, uh, you know, a layer as well. And, and probably some of this has been happening before the pandemic, right? It's accelerated some of these trends of people penetrating into digital solutions. But what are some lasting changes that you're starting to think? And of course, it's early game, right? We're just yeah. reopening. But what do you think some of those changes are that we expect to see? This is where I think you have a difference in maybe casual dining versus QSR. So my opinion, again, that the QSR definitely is used to having more of a digital experience. Their demographic is definitely younger than the typical casual dining guest. Um, but I think in, in casual dining, I, I actually think there is an element that um, years prior, and, and I'm saying this not just based where I am, I, from conversations with others in the industry, um, from organization I was previously at, I think there were people that felt like um, off-premises orders were cannibalizing in restaurant sales. And I think one of the things that became uh, very apparent is this was really a different customer. And 
You know, you see mm. that more now as restaurants have reopened, right? When you're seeing your their in-restaurant sales return, but you're still seeing your uh, off-prem sales be higher, it just reinforces it. Before, I would have argued that that had to do with convenience. Now, I think it has more to do with, you know, COVID. But I, I still think that's a long-term shift. I've never seen in a scenario and, you know, ever that people found something that helped them that was convenient that they just said, eh, nope, going to go back to what I used to do, right? Like, have you ever done that where you once upon a time made a phone call, then you started doing something online and you said, no, 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 I'm going to go back and pick up that phone again. It, you just don't see people behave that just way. Just with the government. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're still holding, right? <laughs> <laughs> Gail, one of the things that I also uh, find very um, engaging about our work relationship is that a lot of people will claim to be advocates for the user, right? But mm -hmm. I feel like that is something that really runs true with you and that yes. you would f actually fall on a sword for a user. So take me... I would, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> why? Is that what you're wondering? Yeah, like Why? Because because well, a lot of a lot of people are not. I mean, my job, of course, is to be an advocate for the user, right? But it's it is rare to find that in a lot of organizations, right? So where does that come from for you? That's easy. Um, so you guys know that I started out my early career at AOL, right? And I know I'm totally dating myself as I say this, but um, I was part of the organization uh, when there were about a million members. I saw it all the way through you know, the 20 plus million, uh, you know, part of the, let's send you 8 million CDs in the mail, right? Lived all of that. I, I collected um, those. Oh yeah. You got to have some good ones, right? That's like right. we used to have them all over the desk, but, um, the first, see, I was there 13 years. I want to say at least the first five, maybe more I spent in a member services organization. And so I think I mentioned to you guys earlier, you know, when we've talked about bringing the world online, like I worked in tech support, which I know that's probably a little hard to believe, but I actually took calls on how and helped people get online later, you know, at my time at AOL, one of the things I was involved in, like I had, I had teams and uh, I remember we had something called the access crisis. This is when we went from a, um, like a metered plan to an unlimited plan. And let me tell you when people couldn't get online and things were busying out the way that people would cuss you out. I was like, wow, that's impressive. That combination of words, but um <laughs> <laughs> but it's true, right? It's a, you know, it was a scenario that, and I truly believe this to this day, unless you've had an opportunity to listen what people are saying, this is where I think that um, user feedback, you know, why I'm so passionate about usability labs. If you don't hear what they're saying, you're making an assumption. And the way I like to see it is I, I've had to eat my own dog food, if you will, right? That um, I spent a lot of years as a product manager and always believed that you needed to really hear what your end user had to say to understand if you were on the right track. Just because I thought it needed to be this or this project thinks it needs to be this doesn't mean that you're 100% aligned. And that's really ultimately where it comes from, right? I, when I really feel strongly about it, there, you know, during that access crisis that I mentioned, there was nothing I could do except let these people yell at me. And I, I know that Talk about a time where you want to really not go to work. 
Yeah. Imagine for more than a month, every day you come in and you take escalated calls all day long, people yelling at you, cussing at you and knowing you can't do anything but say you're sorry. Right. So that's, I don't ever want to be in that situation again, but it, it's probably some deep rooted thing that comes from with comes from it. And, and knowing that I, I, I just believe that people as they're building things need to really understand. Otherwise it's our perspective, right? It's, it's not theirs. And, you know, in what we're doing, if they're not going to use it, like you and I've had this conversation, Tony, many, many times, you know, I strongly believe that we have to earn the privilege of being on somebody's device. Yeah. Not that we should just expect it. And so if we don't earn it, you know, it, it, it all ties together. Right. It's sorry. It's, it's no, that's perfect because, you know, you used to have a gig long time ago where you were on the back end of yeah. bad experience. And now you are spearheading the front end of <laughs> let's not let that happen for them. Let's yeah. do everything that we can <laughs> to where we don't have those bad situations. I actually worked for a man. So when I left that organization, so this is still my AOL days, and I moved over into the marketing organization, honest to God, actual conversation. He asked me, because uh, I could have done the same role in the other organization. And he, his exact words to me were, do you want to lead the elephant parade or clean up after the elephant parade? Mm. And I, there was a piece to me that I was like, wow, well, that's a no brainer. But at the same time, if you're going to lead it, I also feel like you have a responsibility to help clean it up. Yeah, And that's, you know, it, it, I still quote it, right? So it clearly it stuck with me. <laughs> I dig it. No pun <laughs> intended. It. It's true. So Gail, I, I think you said something that really stuck out to me, which is... The elephant parade? No, I'm just kidding. No, that, well, you know, <laughs> now, I, I'm going to get a conductor's hat, but that's for a different time. Um, <laughs> when we are in these positions, especially as you start to become more and more senior, mm-hmm. you do get removed from that ultimate end customer. Yes. What do you do every day or what's your routine? How do you stay in touch with those actual users that you're serving? So I, um, so I'm a big believer in looking at the data. I'm a big believer in, you know, your NPS score, the equivalent, whatever it is that you're measuring. I also like to see where people fall out or abandon, right? Um, app store comments, uh, you know, contact us forms, whatever. Um, I I can think of, and I don't remember when this was, but it stuck with me. I remember somebody talking to us about our app and saying, you know, this would be a great app except for A, B, C, and D. And I was like, okay, well, you just labeled everything that was an option (laughs) in the app. Thanks, right? (laughs) So um, again, that voice of the customer and trying to, I like to get it all the way through, right? I don't want to just wait till after it's live. I want to start during the process, get the feedback as you're building things out. It, it's, it's, you just got to. Yeah. One of the hardest things about doing work in this industry in a digital space mm-hmm. is when the reviews come in for the digital experience. And this isn't just indicative of, you know, the brand that you work for. It's, it's across the board right. is that a review might come in and it's like, Hey, Great app, but my table was a little sticky. And so they, yeah. they give it like one star. And it's like, oh, come on. <laughs> There's a Yelp for that. <laughs> well, but you're right. And um, and sometimes the opposite's true, right? That, yeah. uh, you know, do I, do I or don't I want that five star because the service is great? Now, don't get me wrong. Of course I do. 
but I, but I also think it, uh, it's a scenario where, again, it, you know, it takes a village, right? Um, if we're finding out that, say we're getting feedback that somebody had a problem with service, it does me no good to have a great app experience, an easy ordering process, and then have a customer have a negative experience. Um, I partner with my peers that would, you know, have responsibility for that area to kind of help make sure, and vice versa, right? They're, you know, they need the good and the bad, and I need the good and the bad. And so we have to recognize the role um, in, in an organization. Sorry, you're getting all my Galeisms today, but um, yes. in, in, in an organization I used to work in, we used to call it. Um, there literally used to be something called the beach ball principle. And so when you think about the beach ball, it has the different colors of the striped, right? Well, so it takes all of us to make the beach ball. So my perspective is different than your perspective. Doesn't mean it's wrong. Doesn't mean yours is wrong. Mm. We just have to realize that it takes all of us to, to pull it together. And so I feel a sense of responsibility to work with my peers to make sure that we have I don't know, is it the best, biggest, most colorful? I, I don't really care, but whatever the customer wants, beach ball for their experience. I love that metaphor. And like and it's super, it's in line with how we talk about it too, because we're excited about the things that we work on, but in to deliver a program that's successful across the brand experience, it's holistic of every touch point that that guest sees, which they don't care who controls service versus who controls digital experience. They that's just right. want consistency. That's right. That's exactly right. One of the things that came in my mind when, when you were talking about, you know, sort of that feedback loop is whenever I go into a usability session, right? The worst mindset for me to have is, man, I hope this is right. Or like, yeah. prove me right. I go in, I'm like, prove me wrong, punch all the holes so it can be right. So yeah. it can be super useful for you. So yeah, that's really inspiring to hear. Um, we have two more segments for you Okay. as we wrap up here. We have a little lightning round, okay? Okay, got so my button. <laughs> I'll ask a question. Peter will ask a question. I'll ask a okay. question. Peter will ask a question. little volleyball, right? Hey, metaphor. Are these short answers too? This is a one-word one word answer. One-word answers. All right, I got this. And then we, don't, then we don't go into it. We just let it simmer. Okay. We just let it simmer on the grill. All right. Like a nice steak at Outback. I'm scared. No. <laughs> okay. What gets you up in the morning? The dogs. <laughs> I, love it. I love the honesty. That's a, that's a good one. Um, define customer centricity. Customer focus. I know that's super basic, but... To me, it's a bit like omni-channel and all those pieces, right? There's so many different ways to focus on your... I can't give you one word. That's why I said customer focus. Um, <laughs> but it's about them. How, when, where they want to react or interact with you. Um, what are they looking for? That you have their best interest in mind. Okay, here's the next. And a, kind of a follow-up to my first. What keeps you up at night? Oh, okay. Not my dog, not my kids, that kind of stuff. Okay, um, not still the dogs. Okay, so they're asleep. <laughs> Um, I know this is going to sound weird. I try not to let anything keep me up at night. This may make no sense. Some of the problems that maybe would have kept me up in the past are no longer an issue. And I try to end each day realizing that we've done the best that we can and we're continuing to improve. And you just got to get up and do it the next day, right? It's, 
I love that. Keeping me up at night and stressing on it isn't going to make me any better in helping to fix what we need to do. Love that. Yeah. That's a, that's a great one. Well, Gail, here's our last question for you. And it's not a one worder. Yeah. You can take as many one worders either. (laughs) It was close enough. So what non-digital object or thing that you own or possess means the most to you or has impacted your life the most and why? Non-digital. Okay. Don't laugh. Hit. Um, if I think about the one thing, it's probably the thing that I probably had. It's my, tur- it's my turtle ring. Oh, what <laughs> so, is it? Turtle ring? Yeah. I don't have it handy to go to get, but so it's a ring as a kid. I was a military kid. Right. And we moved a lot. And so, um, I like turtles. My dad likes turtles or my dad liked turtles. So, um, when we were at the Baltimore zoo one time, he bought me this turtle ring. I have no idea why it is so special to me, but I've had this thing since I was five years old. Wow. Right. It it has moved that. And I have this barrette that says my name. It says Gail. I don't even know where that one came from, but there's turtle ring. (laughs) I mean, it, it sounds weird, but it's one of those things that I always like to make sure I have. It has zero monetary value. I can't even truly say that it is tied to a specific memory other than the zoo. And oh, by the way, that's penguins that it's tied to in my head. But um, <laughs> it's my turtle ring. Well, I, I actually really love that. One of the things I've always said is I truly think every ring has a story. Yeah. And, and, I think that's always, I, I sometimes ask people, what's the story about your ring? They're like, oh my gosh, well, I got it and blah, blah, blah. And I was in France and I stumbled upon this alleyway and there was this guy that had like a bag. You know, I think it's very cool. That's a great, yeah. that's a great little uh, non-digital object, Gail. You, you said non-digital. I mean, that was the first thing that came to my mind. <laughs> it's perfect. Listen, thank you so much for joining us. This was a blast of an episode. Very insightful, very fun. And I know I speak for both of us when I know that the, the listeners are really going to enjoy this one. And enjoy your off-premise experience with Bloomin' Brands. That's, That's right. right. Get you some. Think of Gail. Thanks, you guys. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Bye.